Let's come to God's word. Tonight's passage is taken from Genesis, um, starting at chapter 26, verse 34, um, and reading until chapter 28, verse 9. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, 
because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his haunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her oldest son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you 
by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I load my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Paran Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, so that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paran Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paran Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paran Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite woman did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. Amen. Well, well done, Candice. Thank you for reading that. It's a, a long reading, um, but it's a wonderful story. We'll come to that in a moment. If you, in case you're wondering uh, what's happened to 2 Timothy, we've just pressed pause on that series for one week. Uh, we've moved our morning series of Genesis into the evening um, just for this, this Sunday, and then we'll return to 2 Timothy uh, next week. Uh, we're going to come and look at this story in a moment, but it'd be good for us to pray uh, before we do that. Uh, so let me just read a, a verse from uh, the Psalms and... Uh, We'll pray together. Psalm 19 speaks of God's words like this. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Lord God, our Father, we thank you um, for your word that's been read to us this evening Lord, would you help us to value it, to make it precious to our hearts, more than gold, and may it be sweet to us this evening as we explore it together. And Lord, too, may it change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please keep Genesis open to you if you want to turn back to page 21 and the beginning of, or the end of chapter 26, we're going to be looking at at 27 in the main. What we have here this evening is really one of the great stories of the Old Testament. It's such a compelling and exciting narrative. It's full of tension and drama, and it's full of these wonderful, uh, colourful characters. 
Now, what I'd like us to do this, this evening is we're going to work our way through the story, and then we'll come back and we'll look at each of the characters in turn and draw out some implications um, for us. Uh, the service sheet that you got given when you came in, and that's got an outline for you on the back. If you'd like to make some notes, that will show you what we're doing uh, this evening. What we're going to see is we're going to see the sin of this family. We're going to see the self-inflicted wounds of this family. And then we'll see the sovereign mercy of God's. Before we get into that, though, let's work out where we're at. To understand the story, you need to first of all see that it revolves around one repeated word that comes up again and again and again, and you might have spotted it, the word blessing. Now, I counted 28 times in our reading. That's almost half the uses in the book of Genesis in this one chapter. Uh, don't check whether I'm right about that now. You can check that later on. Don't get distracted. Uh, but blessing is what it's all about. Bless, blessing. That comes up again and again. And blessing is a Genesis word. It first came into use in Genesis chapter 1. When God created humanity, he blessed them. He gave them good things to enjoy and a purpose for their lives. And God continued to bless all humanity despite their rejection of him at the fall. All the way through, he's shown his divine kindness, even to rebellious people. Even after the flood, he blesses all humanity again. But then in chapter 12, when God called Abraham, he gave him a specific blessing, one which was not for all humanity, but for Abraham himself and for his offspring and for those who honoured his offspring. Let me read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 to remind us of that promise. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, in him, and, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And from that point on, the blessing of God is found in Abraham and his family. God has promised to do good to this family and to offer this family his salvation to this particular line of people. And so the blessing went from Abraham to his son, to his second-born son, to Isaac. We heard about him last week in chapter 26. Isaac receives the same promise of blessing that Abraham had before him in the previous generation. But now as we come into chapter 27, Isaac is old and he's dying. And the question is, what will happen to that blessing? Will it be passed down and who will it be passed down to? Remember, there are two twin boys, Esau, born first, Jacob, born second. And the blessing of God, his promise of salvation, it can only pass to one of them. If you remember back in chapter 25, when the boys were still in the womb, Rebecca, their mother, was told that the natural order of things would be reversed, that the older would serve the younger that was the prophecy. And we've seen that prophecy play out in parts when Esau trades away his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of lentil stew. 
and talk about a bad deal. It doesn't even have any meat in it. It doesn't sound particularly tasty. The birthright was the firstborn's legal right to inherit. And Esau despised that, and he gave it away to his younger brother for a meal, and not even a very good one. That was part one of the, that prophecy coming true. The older will serve the younger. So we've seen the birthright, but now we're going to see what happens with the blessing. That's part two. They're connected together. The birth, blessing is connected to the birthright. But perhaps it's more significant because this blessing carries with it the promise of salvation from God. It carries with it a commitment from God to be with the one who receives it, to be with him personally. The one who gets this blessing will be the heir to all his promises. So it's a big deal. That's that's the setting for the story. So here we go. The first thing that we're going to notice is the sin of the family. Verse 1 of chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now this is surprising for two reasons. One, it's surprising because when fathers in this culture were dying, well, they would normally call all their sons to bless them. But Isaac leaves Jacob out. And two, it's surprising, it's even more surprising because of what we know about the prophecy from God to Rebekah, that Isaac surely knew that the older would serve the younger. Isaac here is stubbornly defiant to God's words. He's determined to bless Esau, his favourite, but he's only willing to do that after his stomach's full. And he's hungry, he's hungry for game. Now I kind of understand that, um, back where, I, where I'm from, I'm from Kent, the sort of southeast corner of England, the Garden of England, if you like. And uh, game is something of a speciality there. Um, if you go into a country pub in the middle of Kent, uh, you can normally find on the menu something like pheasant or pigeon or something like that. Um, and you can get yourself a Kentish ale and you can enjoy a roast pigeon. Um, I recommend that if you ever go on holiday uh, down there. It doesn't sound very nice, but it is very nice, I promise you. Um, Isaac loves this sort of stuff. And so he sends off his son... Esau goes off to find a pheasant or a pigeon or something for a slap-up meal. And you think, well, he'll be back soon, and at least this will be a nice father-son moment. But wait, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is eavesdropping on the other side of the tent flap. And her favourite son is the other brother, Jacob. So she comes up with this scheme to trick her blind and dying husband into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Now we know that Jacob is the one that God has chosen. But they're not prepared to wait, trust God to bring that about. 
They don't pray. They don't ask God what to do. Instead, Rebecca and Jacob decide to force the, itch, the issue by sinful means. Let's read on from verse 6. Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies." Now notice how she exaggerates. She says that Isaac said to Esau to get the food that I may eat of it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now he didn't say before the Lord. She's putting it on his lips to manipulate Jacob to make sure that he does it. And then her plan is not to speak to Isaac. She doesn't want to reason with him. She simply wants to deceive him. Now, Jacob spots the obvious flaw in the plot. He's nothing like Esau. Esau's like this sort of big, sweaty, hairy bull of a man. And Jacob's a smooth-skinned softy. Isaac's going to spot the difference straight away. Even though he's blind, he's going to realise, verse 12, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. Now we do well here to pay close attention to what they both say. See, Jacob is not bothered at all about deceiving his father, he's only bothered about being caught. And notice that he knows how serious it is. To mock Abraham's offspring is to bring a curse of God upon yourself. Remember God's promise in Genesis 12? Whoever dishonors you, I will curse. That's God's judgment. And Jacob knows this, but he's still willing to do it. He just wants to minimize the risk of being caught. Rebecca's statement's even worse, isn't it? She's willing to have God's curse fall upon her. It's shocking. They're willing to deceive an old, blind, dying man, God's chosen offspring, no less, in order to bring about their goals. Consequences be damned. And so they come up with a plan. The meal's prepared in quick order. They ransack Esau's wardrobe. They find one of his best outfits to wear. They use the hair from the goatskins to cover up the smoothness of Jacob's arms and neck. Everyone loves a hairy neck, don't they? And there he is. He's all decked out. He's looking, he's feeling, he's smelling like his brother with a steaming bowl of stew in one hand, a loaf of bread in the other. The deception is on. Now let me read the next section. I'd like to just look closely at the text. Look out for the lies that Jacob is willing to tell And from verse 18. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, 
I am Esau, your firstborn. There's two lies right there. I have done as you told me. Lie number three. Now sit up and eat of my game. That's lie number four. It's goats, not game. They must have had some kind of sauce on it, I suspect. That your soul may bless me. But Isaac, obviously here he's suspicious that something is amiss. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, and listen to this one, Because the Lord your God granted me success. This one isn't merely lie number five. It invokes the name of the Lord in that lie. This is blasphemous. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Still suspicious. His eyesight might be gone, but he's still got his wits. Verse 22. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, this is Jacob's voice, but <clears throat> this is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. We think it might be all over there, but no, there's one final check. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Lie number six and a doubling down. Um, Although I suspect he maybe said that one in a deeper voice, kind of, I am. Verse 25, then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. That convinces him, and he blessed him. Deception complete. Scheme has worked by hook and by crook, they have got there. Isaac, still thinking it's Esau, stubbornly, defiantly pronounces the blessing on Jacob by mistake. Verse 27 this is the blessing. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. It's quite the blessing, isn't it? Wealth, success, power and authority over the nations and over his family. And notice the last line. The inheritance of the promise made to Abraham. Blessing for those who bless you. Cursing for those who curse you. God is on his side. Now this sounds great in a way. Yeah, okay, it's simple means to get there. But the right result, the one that God has chosen, has got the blessing. And it's true that Jacob is the one whom God has chosen. But let's look at the destruction that it wreaks among the family. Esau returns. Just after Jacob has left, it's the close run thing. Esau's in a good mood. He makes his meal. He brings it in. He's ready for the blessing and he asks his father for it. But this is distressing, isn't it? Verse 32. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? 
He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. But he said, Your brother has come deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Now this makes Esau furious. Esau says, Is he not rightly named Jacob, grasper, cheater? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Listen to the, it's a sort of pathetic plea that Esau makes here. Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now Esau was a foolish man. He was foolish to marry outside of the family against God's will. He was foolish for selling his birthright. He made his own choices. He does get a blessing of sorts, but it's nothing compared to what Jacob got. And he ends up furious. And he's going to kill him as soon as his father is dead. It's just an absolute mess, isn't it? Well, let's spend a bit of time reflecting on the sin of this family. Let's look at each of the characters in turn. Isaac, blind and stubborn. He's physically blind, uh, but I think we're also supposed to see that he's spiritually or emotionally blind to the character of his son Esau. He has stubbornly favoured him to the point where he's willing to give him God's blessing even though he knows that it should pass to Jacob. That's why he doesn't invite Jacob in in the first place. He stubbornly attempts to defy God's will by blessing the son that he thinks is Esau. What about Rebecca? She's a plotter and deceiver. She doesn't speak to her husband. She doesn't reason with him. She never asks God what to do. She had done that before, but she doesn't do that here. Instead, she manipulates and deceives. Even at the end of the story, she's still manipulating to get uh, Isaac to agree to send Jacob away. She plays favourites too. She'll do anything to get her own way for a special boy at the expense of her other son and her husband, even to the point of calling down curses upon herself. What about the boys? Jacob, a liar and a cheat, willing to lie again and again and again to his old man, his blind and dying father, willing to cheat his brother instead of trusting God to bring about his purposes. And then Esau, furious and foolish. 
selling his birthright, marrying those who don't worship the Lord. You notice he does that again at the end of uh, this story in in chapter 28. He's a foolish man, and then he's a furious man. Isn't he like Cain, willing to murder his brother? I mean, what a family. Do you know one like it? I suspect many of us do, don't we? Now we'll come to what God is doing in a moment. I want us to finish there and see what God is doing. But before we get there, I want us just to see and really pay attention to the damage that this sin does. We've seen the sin of the family, but let's just look at the wounds that this sin creates. Self-inflicted wounds of the family, that's our second uh, point. Now, there's a, there's a difference between doing God's will and God's will being done. The people in this story, they sometimes go against God's will directly. Uh, people like Isaac and Esau, when they seek to pass the blessing down the wrong line. But Rebecca and Jacob, well, they're trying to bring about God's will, but they're doing that by sinful means. Now, either way, God's will is done. It's always done. He'll always achieve his purposes. But we're supposed to see here, I think, that sin has real consequences. Even sin that we commit in order to try and bring about God's plans. And you can see that really clearly displayed, I think, here in this passage. It's going to be one of the big themes of this section of the book as we go forwards. Their actions here have all sorts of consequences. The family falls apart. By the end of this incident, the relationships are fractured, aren't they? Esau and Jacob are enemies. I imagine things aren't all that smooth between Isaac and Rebecca if he ever found out her part in it all. And most significantly, Jacob ends up having to flee to Haran. He ends up outside the land of promise. And we know that that's significant. We know that Abraham left instructions for Isaac to never leave the land. We know that Isaac himself was told by God directly, don't leave the land. But here Jacob ends up in a kind of exile. Rebecca, at the end of the passage, she thinks, well, it's just a short time, it's just a little while, maybe till Esau calms down a bit, a few days maybe. But it ends up being decades away from the family, away from the land of God's promise. And as far as we know, Rebecca never sees Jacob again. Humanly speaking, this is a big disaster. It's an absolute mess. Sin has consequences. These self-inflicted wounds, they'll affect the family for years. And we know the effects of sin are seen in our lives too, don't we? And in our families and in the family of God, the church. See, first, this incident, it should serve, I think, as a warning to us that sinners' consequences, favoritism, selfish actions, lies, cheating, furious anger, it all causes damage, and lasting damage sometimes. Even if we like Rebecca, even if we want the right thing, but we get there by sinful means, 
by manipulation, by deception, well, it all has damaging effects in this life. This chapter is a warning about the destructive consequences of sin. But it's really important that we don't see it only as a warning. Because it also holds comfort for us if we have caused damage ourselves in the past or if we've been on the receiving end of that damage. This brings us to our third and final point uh, this evening. We're going to see the sovereign mercy of God. Now, I don't know about you, but so far, my overriding thought in this chapter, and as we read on, my overriding thought of this section, is why on earth would God choose to bless a family like this? Don't you think that? They're a mess. I wouldn't want anything to do with them, would you? But God is determined to bless them. And that means this, that as we see clearly the sinfulness of these people, we'll see even more clearly the sovereign mercy of God. Now why sovereign mercy? Well, there's two parts to it. First of all, his sovereignty. This says that God's purposes cannot be thwarted by human actions. In fact, he can even use sinful actions to bring about his purposes without committing sin himself. In fact, he does that all the time. He set his plan of blessing and salvation in action, and the best decisions, the worst decisions, and the mixed decisions of human beings cannot stop him from bringing it to pass. He can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He can, and he does, even turn our sinful decisions to his own glory and good. Of course, nowhere is that principle more clearly displayed than the cross of Jesus Christ. The worst act of all humanity was turned in his sovereignty to the greatest act of blessing that the world would ever know. Isn't this a tremendous comfort to sinful, messed up people like us? Yes, sin has consequences. Yes, it matters what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. We must heed the warning and flee from sin, but grab hold of the truth that it does not put him out of control, that he is sovereign over all things, and that his purposes to bless us cannot be thwarted. So we see his sovereignty here, but we also see his mercy. God blesses these people. He blesses Jacob, this liar, this cheat. Does he deserve it? No, of course not. Not one bit. But God has mercy on sinners. He blesses sinners, and he works on sinners to change them. Now, we'll see that a lot with Jacob in the coming weeks, but we even see it here with Isaac. Um, After he initially defiantly tries to bless the wrong son, Isaac eventually seems to accept that God has chosen Jacob instead of his favourite. And Isaac eventually blesses 
Jacob again, and he does so with the blessing that God had passed down to him. This is in chapter 28. I'll just read verses 3 and 4. He says to Jacob, his son, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. See what this is saying? Despite all the mess... In his mercy, God changes the heart of sinners and he continues to bless those he has sovereignly chosen. There's even more comfort for us. See that phrase there at the end of verse 3, a prayer to make Jacob a company of peoples? Well, that's the word that will later be translated church, a church of peoples. A church of peoples from all nations, made of people like those in this family. That really does give us hope, doesn't it? Especially those of us who've made a real mess of things, like Jacob did. God's sovereign mercy is such that his purposes are not thwarted by sinners like us. He shows mercy to sinners like us. He'll build his church out of sinners like us. And he'll change us. And he'll bless us. He is sovereign and he is merciful. And that ultimately is what this passage reveals to us. While sin wreaks havoc among his chosen family, God keeps his promise to bless them and to bless us too. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, as we see this, um, this, this human family making a real mess of things, we see, we see ourselves so clearly. We know that we're just like them. We know that even our best intentions are flawed and selfish. And so, Lord, we fall upon your mercy. And we thank you that our worst actions do not thwart your sovereign purposes, And we thank you that you determined to bless us, even though we don't deserve it. We thank you that that is true in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we've been given his righteousness. And Lord, that you have given us new life, eternal life in his name. Such blessings for a people like us, we're so thankful. Make us more grateful, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.